let's have a baby. When I first said that to my husband, he was thrilled. Well, let me back up for a second. When I first said that to my husband, he was like, pump the brakes. But after having some time to digest the idea, then he was thrilled. See, he thought making a baby just meant more sex and more often. But for me, it meant timed ovulation, fertile windows, temperature checks, and babe, get in here. It's time. Well, I think it's interesting because I think people, men and women, before they start to try, they just make that assumption that you were saying, we're just going to have sex. Maybe we'll get go and like go out and drink a bottle of wine, go home, have sex, and we're going to get pregnant. And, you know, it. Again, that is some people's story, and a lot of people's, it's not their story. Hi, I'm Sarah, host of the Juna Women podcast and founder of Juna. Our mission is to help guide women like you through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Today's episode is the fourth part of our family planning series, and we're talking all about the dynamics at play between you and your partner when you decide to add a baby to the mix. By the end of this episode, you should have a much better idea of how to communicate with your partner about your wants and needs, as well as come together to create a family plan that you both feel comfortable with. We'll be talking about sensitive topics like miscarriage and infertility and how those things can impact your relationship as you approach parenthood. To help us with this topic, I sat down with Dr. Batya Novik, a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in reproductive and parental mental health. The work that I do really specializes in supporting both individuals and couples through the journey of conception and fertility, um, whether that is smooth or oftentimes for the folks I work with, Buffy, and then through the the pregnancy and at times pregnancy loss. I think it might make sense to go in somewhat of chronological order here to tackle the different things that will come up during conception, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. Starting with conception and how we opened the episode, timed intercourse. I know one of the biggest mistakes I made when my husband and I first started our trying to conceive journey was making assumptions. Assuming he was ready. Assuming he knew what trying to conceive meant to me. Assuming we were going to get pregnant quickly and easily. Here's a bit of my conversation with Batia, which will hopefully provide some insights on how to avoid these common pitfalls. First, it's really thinking about, like, do we both know what this means to intentionally try to conceive? Do we understand the process and what it might mean? And then I do a lot of talk about sex, which can be fun and and hard for people. But a lot of the work is, it's true, there is a piece of sex that has to become a little bit more regulated when you're trying to conceive. But how do you also try to keep it fun and playful while you're in this phase? And it's a really tall order. And sometimes it's not something that's always possible. So the most important thing I say during this phase is don't just have sex when you're trying to conceive. Incorporate it into other parts of your life just to feel connected, just to feel intimate. And because when sex just becomes about conception, that's when you can easily fall in that slippery path of sex really not being sexy at all. And it can kind of push you apart versus do what you imagine it should do. We think more sex means we're going to be more connected. But when it's kind of routine and based on this kind of outside drive is we're trying to get pregnant, it can it can be a wedge or a divide. So how do we make it playful? How do we make it fun? And we need to be having sex beyond those moments of chest ovulation. 
Yes. Well, especially because, you know, like I think I like laugh because like my friends and I all joke about it. It's like the amount of sex you have during your fertile window. And then you're like, man, I'm sexed. We're all sexed out. But like we're not sexed out from sex. You're sexed out from that sex. And I think that's that's the thing that you need to remind. And, and like my husband was like a very – he's like he, – he was very – he – like an advocate of that. And it wasn't for him just about having more sex. He was just like, I don't want to have pressurized sex with you. I want to still feel connected. And I think like it was easier for him to say that to me and for him to feel that than for me because all I felt was the pressure. And then I just like wanted a break and I wanted to like, and then I was consumed with the two week wait. And then it's like the only time that I like actually wanted to have sex was during like right after my period, because it's like that, that could be like the, um, the less pressurized sex, but like during the two week wait, you're just so focused on like every part of your body. Ooh, was that, was that feeling? Was that, was that, am I pregnant? Is that? <laughs> and during the times where either both or one, if you really need to break from sex because of that pressurization, remembering that it's not just about intimacy is not just about sex. And so if it doesn't make sense or, or the couple needs a break, how do you just stay intimate? How do you feel connected, even if it's not sex? So how do you still incorporate touch, kissing, hugging, other parts of kind of that more intimate touch into your daily life or routine to kind of stay connected and not just be like, okay, we just had four days of sex. Let's take a break and kind of go into our own corners of the room, so to speak. And to build on that conversation, finding those moments of intimacy and keeping things light becomes even more important as the negative pregnancy tests start to pile up. For my husband and I, there were clear differences in our stress levels, and I wanted to find out the best way to handle something like that. So the first thing is just keeping communication open and allowing, you know, making sure your husband knows how you're feeling, the stress that it's creating. And what you need from him in that moment, you know, and sometimes it's just, look, you can't fix this. You can't do anything about it, but just let me vent when I need to vent or tell me it's going to be okay. And we're going to get there when I'm feeling scared or hopeless. Um, and really telling your partner what you need in those moments and letting them know or cue them in um, that you're stressed and I also think not making your partner the only person that has to be the bearer of all of this. Just like you can't be the holder of all of your husband's worries or fears. And so tapping into your other support system, whether it's friends or family, who you feel can give you good support and, and guidance during this time. Um, and so maybe it's friends that you know it took a little bit longer for them to conceive. Um, not You might not want to talk to the friend that like, she and her husband got drunk one night and fell pregnant. Um, but but the, right, but the friends that you know kind of they tried for six months or a year before they got pregnant because they might be able to give you that kind of space and understanding and empathy that you need, and really not to isolate, but also just to remember that things don't follow a straight line all the time, and it's normal for things not to happen the minute we want them to. And I think it's so hard because women spend a lot of their earlier years, earlier um, adolescent and young adult years, trying not to get pregnant. 
That's the goal. And then all of a sudden you're ready and you just assume, well, I spent all these years trying not to. It must be really easy to do. And so it can feel even more stressful when it just doesn't happen the minute you decide you want it to. So really also one of the biggest things besides communication is not letting your the other parts of your life stand still. It's so easy to kind of put the pause on everything while you're concentrating on this, like with hyper-focused laser vision. And that can kind of create the opposite effect, which is it only makes more stress versus saying, okay, we're doing this, we're trying, we're being intentional, we're doing the work, but we're planning our vacation, we're living our life, we're going out with our friends, we're letting the other pieces of our life continue the way they do. And that really helps depressurize that moment in time. What Batia just shared is exactly how it played out for me. My husband actually suggested that we take a vacation in the midst of our IVF journey to sort of put the trying to conceive stuff on the back burner. And so we went to New York, drank and ate all the things, enjoyed friends and family, and in general had a stress-free three weeks. That was the month we got pregnant. Now, I don't want this to sound like just chilling out is the cure-all, but there is strong evidence that stress can have a negative physiological response in your body. So as Batia mentioned, the key is really not letting it consume you. It made me think of this quote. When you're busy comparing your current situation to future dreams, the present passes by. Time, once gone, never comes back. So as difficult as it might be, try to enjoy the time you have while you have it. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. It's estimated that one in four pregnancies end in loss. That means for our audience, either you, the listener, has gone through it, you will go through it, or you know someone who has. Batia has a lot of experience working with couples who've experienced a miscarriage. And the first thing that I think is really important is to talk about what grief really is. I think we hear about those five stages of grief, and that's really been defunct. And what we know now is Grief doesn't follow a clean line. There aren't things you do and then it just goes away. Um, 
it actually doesn't end. It just changes and shifts. And so the work we do is how to work to get to a place where those acute, those really strong, intense feelings aren't so active. Um, and it's just a quieter feeling that sometimes fades into the background and stays there forever, or sometimes comes up to the surface, but in a much less powerful way. Um, and I think that's really important because people feel really overwhelmed with um, pregnancy loss and the grief that comes from that. Or they feel like, well, I shouldn't be grieving. I was only six weeks pregnant. Or I know somebody that had a pregnancy loss at six months and their loss was so much bigger or should have been so much bigger than mine. And really the idea is loss is loss. Whether you were six weeks pregnant or six months pregnant or anything in between or after or before that, um, we grieve when we love and we love the idea of the pregnancy the minute it happens. The minute we know we're pregnant, we fall in love with the idea. And then when we have our baby, we fall in love with our baby. And the minute the love is formed is the minute you're opening yourself up to the potential of grief if that love ends and that experience ends. And really kind of giving people permission to, to grieve and to understand that there isn't just these things to do and it goes away because I think that's what sets people up for a feeling of failure. And just letting people really sit in it and allow it to happen and trust that um, with time and also with understanding, it, it shifts and changes over time and becomes less powerful. Um, and yeah, and something that, sorry, please go on. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think one of the ways we work on that is the idea that your story of loss is both your trauma and how you heal. And so oftentimes when something really powerful and hard happens to us, we want to instinctively avoid it or kind of push it away. And when we do that, it doesn't go away. It kind of just grows or becomes fixed in an unhelpful way. It gets in the way. And so the work sometimes feels kind of in opposition to what we initially desire, but the work is really to explore the story of loss and tell it and support how it can change over time from something of active pain and loss to a story that is much less painful and maybe has other components to that story that, um, the person never realized before. For example, I'm working with somebody now who um, experienced a really hard pregnancy loss. And the first couple of months after, it was just active grief and anger and just a feeling of overwhelmingness. And they're in a much different place now and preparing for another pregnancy. And I don't think for them the loss has gone away but they can see other pieces to the story of how, how they made sense of it and how they think about it now that just weren't in the narrative 
during those first few months. Um, and that's really how you manage through it um, as an individual. Um, and again, it's so easy to kind of want to push it to the side and be like, I'm fine. I got this. Or it's not that significant. It was only, you know, 10 weeks of pregnancy. But again, really honoring loss when it happens is how you can heal it. I just have to say, I love this whole segment with Batia. As someone who has experienced pregnancy loss, I felt this section deeply. For me, my miscarriage was very much like, oh, this is normal, just brush it off and try again. In medical terms, it's a chromosomal abnormality. And so for doctors, it's all about dealing with the physical aspect of the pregnancy. But for women going through miscarriage, first it's the physical, and then the emotional toll is what we are not prepared for. You can be sad. You should be sad. If you don't grieve and allow yourself the time and space to feel the feels, so to speak, it can lead to more problems down the road, including anxiety during pregnancy and postpartum. If you're experiencing any sad feelings that don't go away, excessive irritability, changes with sleeping or eating, loss of interest in self-care, difficulty doing everyday tasks, withdrawing or isolating from others, you should absolutely talk to someone. The worst thing you can do is keep these thoughts to yourself because they just become an echo chamber in your mind. Call someone, call a friend, call your mom, call a therapist, call me. Here's Batia's take on what happens if you don't reach out for help. I always tell people is you've got to talk about it. And you cannot keep these feelings to yourself. They don't just go away. And, you know, there's so many ways you can access support, whether it's talking to your OB or your midwife or your primary care physician, or if you already have a therapist, talking to them, telling your friends, telling your partner, really not keeping it to yourself. Um, and when it feels like it's getting in the way and you don't have a therapist, looking for someone who specializes in reproductive mental health or a reproductive psychiatrist who's really trained to support women in this moment. And the other thing that's, the other two things that are so important is and I, I'm saying this before, is not self-isolating, but really building your support system during this time. It, it, it's kind of when we get very stressed and fight or flight kicks in, it's really normal and natural to kind of either withdraw within or just hold it on your own. But what happens is it doesn't resolve it at all. It actually activates it even more. And people actually feel so much more relief when they can talk and connect about it with others. Um, so even though it feels counterintuitive sometimes, talking about it and not isolating around it is one of the most important ways to heal from it and through it. Another area to navigate after loss is the relationship with your partner. Everyone reacts to traumatic events differently, and so expecting that your partner will have the same reaction or deal with things the same way you do can be troublesome. I see this all the time um, when I'm either working with a couple after a pregnancy loss or an individual where the woman will say, he isn't expressing his feelings, he's not crying over this um, as a generalization, right? Or he's really upset and like I'm resenting him because it's my time to be upset. And the key here is really knowing that everybody experiences this differently and everybody can grieve differently. And a lot of times um, 
you know, men will often translate grief in these very pragmatic thoughts. What can we do now? What are the next steps? How do we prevent this in the future? Which are great, but to a woman who's in the moment of grief might not translate to grief language, might not translate to connection, like, oh, they're in the same place I'm in. When reality is they might very well be, they're just thinking about it or holding it in a very different way. Um, they're trying to protect the woman or the person they love the most from going through this again because they have to bear witness. And that's really hard to do. Um, it's just watching somebody you love go through something hard as you're going through something hard yourself. Um, so really for both people to kind of sit in the idea that it's okay to grieve this loss differently. And how to do that is really communicating. And so really the work, a lot of the work I do is not asking your partner to know what you need because people really can't read your mind. I tell it to people all the time. <laughs> um, I know, right? Make it so much easier. Um, but telling your partner what you need. And people will be like, well, I shouldn't have to. But it's true, except then you won't get your needs met. So really, really saying, look, right now, this is what I need. And on the flip side, asking your partner what they need without assuming you know. That those two things can do the majority of the work in helping a couple navigate through a really hard time after a pregnancy loss. And the other thing is just really allowing the person to feel and express their emotions. And that's really hard to do is kind of watching your husband or your wife grieve, but creating space so that they can. You know, sometimes I'll see people come in and say, you know, I have to cry when my husband leaves because I don't want him to see me cry because he gets upset if I'm upset. Um, and really working to help people feel comfortable bearing witness to that grief and feeling safe and comfortable with vulnerability because it can be hard. Most of the time, it's not that the other person doesn't want their um, wife or husband to be sad. It's just that they're feeling helpless or vulnerable in those moments. Um, and also it's important not to self-isolate. Um, and so if you, if you're going through this, there are some really wonderful groups that are specific for, um, people going through pregnancy loss. And that can be a really powerful experience is to sit in a space with other couples or individuals who are actively going through the same experience you are. Um, it can be really cathartic in that kind of more acute moment. And when the relation, when things become really stressful, finding a good couples therapist that specializes in that reproductive mental health is key. It's key because you need your relationship. You need your partnership in that time of loss. And it's so easy for, for the stress of the grief to take a toll on the relationship. And it's so easy to lose communication during that time. And so it, it's so important to be intentional about both what each other needs and the supports that might really help the two of you go through that process. Okay, this episode is feeling a little heavy, so let's end on somewhat of a positive note here. Let's assume you have a successful pregnancy and you are getting close to your due date. 
Things are going well. Everyone is happy and healthy. What are some basic but important things we can all do to prepare for this major life shift that's about to happen? Here's Bazia. There's no way to truly prepare. And that's that's the most intense piece of it, to your point. You know, it's there's going to be a bit of shell shock that happens. Um, I mean, one of the things, especially if it's for a first-time parent, um, is something I always help people think about is what are the supports you might need um, externally, like having a doula to help you in the delivery room or postpartum? Do you have family members you want to tap into or a baby nurse or friends? Or do you want to kind of talk about getting a meal train set up? And I think what's really something a lot of people hear about is creating a birth plan. And that's great, even though we don't always have full control over how we birth our babies. Um, But one thing that doesn't get talked about a lot and something I try to do with all of the clients I work with who are expecting is helping the couple come up with a postpartum plan. Because to your point, it's impossible to figure out the big issues when you're in that postpartum phase because you're not sleeping, you're completely overwhelmed. Um, whether it's your first, second, third, or, or whatever, it's, it's the most vulnerable time. So really coming up with a plan ahead of time for basic things from how are we going to eat? Where's the food going to come from? How are we making it? Or are people helping us? How are we going to get laundry done or the house clean? Who's going to walk the dog? Um, how do we ask? How do I ask for help? How do you ask for help? How do I know if one of us needs support? Um, how do we handle or manage family or friends who want to visit? You know, all these things that happen that we don't even think about half the time. Um, It's so important to come up with a plan that it doesn't mean it's fixed or kind of written in stone, but already there's a plan for it so that you don't have to think about things like laundry. Like it's already been discussed. It's already been planned for. Your meals for the first couple of weeks have already been discussed and planned for. Um, or if you've got a big or a small family, a close family or a distant family, how you imagine wanting to navigate them and in this beginning phase has already been figured out. So you're not in a position where you don't know how you're going to eat dinner that night or you have three people calling you to come for a visit and you really feel overwhelmed by that process. Just really coming up with a plan ahead of time for all of those kind of not so exciting and exciting pieces of the postpartum experience. Okay, that's all for today's episode. I really enjoyed talking to Batia and encourage you to reach out to her or any therapist who specializes in fertility, reproduction, and parental mental health. It's really a unique and special time fraught with challenges and triumphs and you shouldn't have to go at them alone. If you're interested in the finer details and listening to my full conversation with Batia, you can find the full interview on our IGTV channel at juna.moms on Instagram. To get in touch with Batia, you can find her website on our show notes. If you have any questions, comments, or need some guidance during your trying to conceive journey, please email me at sarah at juna.co. On the next episode, we'll be talking about sex with Dr. Renee Hilliard, who's a former OB and a sex specialist. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.